official podcast of the 2112 Group, where we talk with thought leaders and influencers about the business and technology trends shaping the world around us. As many of you know, our company, 2112, takes its name from the classic Rush album of the same name, 2112. The lyricist of that band, Neil Peart, wrote on a later album, If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And that's what we're going to talk about today, making choices and sound decisions. Whether you're conscious of it or not, you make hundreds of decisions a day. What to have for breakfast, what route to take to work, whether to use a black or blue pen, whether to send an email, and so on. Many decisions are inconsequential, but in business, decision-making isn't trivial. Strategic planning execution requires sound, logical reasoning that defines choices and leads to decision-making based on probable outcomes. Managers make decisions every day about routes to market, partnerships, product development, staffing, contracts, and other operational issues. Decision-making isn't easy, and sometimes it's downright scary. Sometimes managers make safe decisions out of fear that the wrong choice could hurt them. Some managers try to avoid decisions for the same reason. And still, some managers overanalyze situations, thus torturing the decision-making process. Making decisions is part of life and business, and it's about looking at the probable, not the absolute result. Businesses do not need correct decision-making, but rather sound decision-making. Joining me today is someone who makes a lot of decisions. Our old friend, Julie Parrish, the Chief Operating Officer at Security Risk Management Specialist, Red Seal. Julie teaches business and go-to-market seminars and has been integral to the strategy development of several vendors, including NetApp, Semantic, and Checkpoint. So uh, let's start with this notion that decision-making is something that we do you know, every day in our personal and professional lives. You know, some decisions are unconscious, you know, do I cross the street? Mm-hmm. Um, some are innocuous, you know, which pen am I going to use? Um, but many decisions have consequences. How do you or how should we prioritize decision-making? So when I think about decision-making, particularly in a business context, um, to quote Dave Hitt's former or founder of NetApp, I always like the what will kill you first mentality. Um, you know, and given that the title of his book is How to Castrate a Bull, that's actually an appropriate <laughs> starting point. That's right. But there is something, well, first of all, it's a memorable line, right? What will kill you first. Yeah. But there's something really powerful about that, particularly in business making, to really focus you on what is the thing that might be happening right now that I need to be sure. That's, that's sort of always first and foremost how I prioritize. After that, you then want to look at, okay, well, what's next and what's after that? That's one framework. A second framework is looking at what types of decisions do we need to make to sustain a business versus scale a business versus accelerate. Yeah, I mean, but that also presumes that you're already established. I mean, if what mm-hmm. will kill you first is you're already there in the jungle. Mm-hmm. You know, does that change if you're at a point of you're just starting out? Do I go to a garage or do I, you know, do mm-hmm. I work out of the bedroom? I mm-hmm. mean, how does how, that? What's the context change? So I think when you're just starting out, you may not always know what'll kill you first. No, that, actually, I take that back. What'll kill you first is you don't get enough funding to, <laughs> right, to, to do the product. So maybe decisions at that point need to be focused a little bit more that way. Right. But that is where I would break it down into decisions related to what sustains the business. I have to get funding in order to succeed. I have to do, you know, at least 5 million in revenue this year. 
versus what might scale the business that can wait a little bit. I have to put in you know, some sort of process or platform versus what will really accelerate me later. If you don't focus on what will keep you as a going concern, even in the beginning, you won't get to the other two things. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that process. I mean, because decision-making rarely comes in isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's really a binary choice of, you know, let's do this and then that's the, you know, it'll produce an end result. The decision actually leads to more decisions. So what is it that you do to, to mm-hmm. actually evaluate choices or evaluate a situation that results mm-hmm. in making a decision? I like using um, kind of key sentences So as a framework. So for example, if we don't do this this year, we will die. Okay, that's a little bit bold, but um, so an example might be, if we do not hit 20 million in revenue, we'll die. If we do not um, expand our services capability, we will die. And you, you can test it against something like that. You know, pick a powerful sentence, and 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 if you look at that, you go, okay, now if. If we didn't do our services this year, I don't think we would die. Okay, let's test something else. Keep testing and testing until you come up with, okay, there's three or four things here that really fit in the, if we fail here, we're not moving forward. But you know, can you actually be more aspirational? One of the questions mm-hmm. I ask, because I, I find with many businesses, particularly small businesses, they, they, they start with a function rather than a vision. Mm-hmm. So is it, you know, can you actually go into, you know, use decision making mm-hmm. as a means of defining that positive aspiration, that attribute, you know, how are you going to change yeah. the world? Right. You know, right. Does, does that big provocative question yes. result in making a decision that actually gets you to a, to a higher point? It does. And that's a great example of where the what will kill you first is not, not interesting or important in that discussion, yeah. right? It's more about... I think in that case, when you're looking at vision, um, it's important to make decisions based on uh, the authenticity of what you can actually achieve, what you actually have today, and is it extendable into some future vision. What you're doing right now doesn't have to actually address the long-term vision, but you've got to look at your decision-making and say, okay, (laughs) test it against reality, if you will, of what are we doing right now today? What does our product roadmap look like? How possible is it that we could extend to something like that? Yeah. Should people, particularly managers or even executive level like you are, um, put guardrails up on decision making? Is, is, it, is it appropriate or is it mm-hmm. necessary to constrain yourself in terms of the type of decision making or your decision making process to avoid... Um, call it sprawl, right? And, and distraction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with it depends on where you are in the process. So, for example, if you are making decisions about what you need to do in the second half of the year to be sure that you sustain or don't die, um, I think parameters are very important there. Like a parameter is we don't actually only have this much money to work with. So this is not the time to do general whiteboarding exercises on all the things that we could possibly do. So putting a few constraints, whether it's funding, resources, number of people you have, it wouldn't be realistic to assume I could hire a bunch of people, that kind of thing. However, when you're talking about longer term, 
um, I do think it's okay to take some of those guardrails off. Maybe you've cast a, a net out there or a line out there around what you think your vision could be, but now have a little bit more freeform discussion about what are the possible paths we could get there and then what are the decisions we might make in order to achieve that. But for me personally, practical experience is that's really useful when you're looking out a couple years. It's a lot less useful when you're looking at a shorter time frame because you're, there's practical realities. Yeah. Even if somebody said, hey, here's you know an extra 30 million to go do something, you got to think about time bound. You know, how much could I get done? Mm -hmm. One of the things I hear a lot is in working with teams, mm -hmm. and particularly that have been charged with some task. You know, we get called in, 2112 gets called in, we have to develop a new strategy, a new program, mm -hmm. and typically coming down from somewhere on high, mm -hmm. say at your level. Yeah, things that will, that will come up in that conversation are like, Julie will want to see this. The boss will want to know okay. that. What are the you know? Is it is it a good thing to tell subordinates, team members, uh, partners? Mm -hmm. You know, here are the inputs that mm -hmm. are necessary for my mm -hmm. decision making. Gosh, um, I personally would not do it that way. I think what is important coming from you know uh, whoever your executive sponsor is of a particular project that they are clear on outcomes like, um, I, you know, I want to get to a framework that allows me to do this or something, but, um, and being able to answer the question of, you know, why do you need those things is really, really important. I think what I'm looking for at a high level, yes, very appropriate from an ex executive sponsor. Um, how? <laughs> decisions need to be made and what data you use yeah. and what the exact outcomes need to be. No, I don't think that's really the right way to do that. Interesting. So, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, about outcomes, but you, typically that's really the start point for mm -hmm. a lot of processes Yeah, is that there's an objective that's defined that then really defines what the, the choices or the decisions that have to be made in order to achieve the objective. But doesn't that then, you know, which one has more weight? Because mm -hmm. doesn't that then place more emphasis on the objective rather than the choices? Or do the choices then carry more weight as you go through the, the deliberation process? Yeah, gosh, you're going to get another it depends answer, I suppose, here, yeah. which is probably why this is a great podcast. There are a lot of nuances to it. Um, when I think about that sort of decision making, um, I would... So I look at big objectives and say the objective of marketing is to drive thought leadership in a particular topic, to fill the pipeline with demand, and to increase familiarity among our constituents. Let's just say those are the high-level objectives. That to me should be, you know, a, that that's a possible target for a project. I would like to see the strategy now for how I can increase familiarity with my constituents mm -hmm. name the constituents here. And then I personally would sort of leave it at that and then allow for a more free form. Okay. Well, what are the key levers that would drive that? What are the tactics that would most influence those levers? Did, 
Does that make sense? It does make sense, but that then leads to the other problem because as I would come down and say, look, we want to go here. Mm -hmm. This is the objective. And oftentimes businesses, particularly in technology, where there's so much pressure on performance and growth Mm -hmm. and revenue, that that objective is not a place it is not a product it is mm-hmm. not you know some feature set development it is typically framed as a number oh wow right so i mean you've been there mm-hmm. so then that can comes down to a teams or mm-hmm. within the company and what happens they throw everything at it mm-hmm. so they have a hard time not just choosing what to do but they have a, i often see this they mm-hmm. have a hard time choosing what not to do how do you instill a culture of where it's okay to say we're not going to do something? Right. So I think I would go back to that. That's a, a really good example. Um, company I'm with now, one of our key uh, frames of our business plan, which obviously guides a lot of decision making, is you know we need to sustain X million dollars in bookings this year. That's a number, right? And then. I go back to the test statements. Okay, what's it going to take to sustain? And try the, um, the the dramatic approach. If we don't increase channel revenue by this much, it impacts our ability to hit this number, yes or no. Uh, if we um, lose talent more than you know ten percent attrition. It impacts our ability, yes or no. So I, I like using the test statements there, um, so that it kind of you know I think allows for a little bit more freeform. Right. And and when you use those kind of test statements, I think it's a little easier to get to the what would we not do, right? Because you can't do everything. Right. Right. <laughs> you simply can't. And so you know some of the squishier but, ones would be. But it's tempting to think you can. Or that you have to, you know. Think about yeah. route, think about routes to market. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it and say, "Look, I we need to get to a hundred billion dollars," mm-hmm. you know, you know, then it's everything. You want to make sure that you're covering every part of the market rather than making a choice. Mm-hmm. This is not what we're going to play. So I think this is where the parameter does come back in, which says. You know, let's just use a small company example. You have a hundred million in revenue, and you've got let's just say five million to spend, or that's not a really realistic number. Say fifty million to spend to get to that number. Okay, okay so so now you've kind of got a framework it's all that says, money. right, right. <laughs> well, yeah. small company, not so much. <laughs> um, but now that is an important parameter because right. you can't actually do everything. You have to choose, right? So test statement number one is: Do we really think? It will or will not be crucial in our ability to sustain. And then if you've got 25 things that you think, oh, that might be crucial, now you've got to go through and say, well, how many of the, how much would it take to fully fund each one of those activities and start paring it down that way? You know, you do have to introduce some level of reality that way. Decision making is a, the, almost a, is a starting point for reaching an objective. Mm-hmm. Not all objectives are reached. Right. And yep. I've seen it happen where it's not the objective that was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, when that happens, it was the decision. You made a poor decision. Mm-hmm. Is there a, such a thing as a poor decision or is there too much? As you say, let's yeah. go back to what you said about things being nuanced. Mm-hmm. Is it oftentimes not, you know, you made the right decision, poor execution, but the decision still gets blamed. 
Or is it a the the, the objective is, yeah. wasn't the right objective, but the decision is the what gets gets the blame for the failure. Right. So there's an it depends in here as well, right? And one of the things that I really like to look at is leading indicators of being on track or off track with a particular decision to help get you out of the blame situation of, well, that was a really bad decision. Unfortunately, if you wait until the end of a decision and and make that determination, now people are a little emotional. Maybe you spent a lot of money and didn't go quite right. So being very realistic about what are the leading indicators of success or fail with a particular decision and getting very good at, in a non-judgmental way, we've got to really look at, are we on track or off track? And no penalty for off track if you are, are measuring it and having a good discussion. That's the point where you say, shoot, we thought this was a good decision. Right now, it's not looking like it. Let's course correct and make a different decision. Yeah. What can you do to make people feel safe or empowered to make decisions? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and again, it's like I see this all the time. Mm-hmm. You you ask people questions, and you know, you know, we need to make a choice. Are we going to do? Are we going to go with red? Or are we going to go with blue? Mm-hmm. And they freeze mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there is a fear that if they make a choice, then it could be the wrong choice, and right. then there again we get back to the blame game. Mm-hmm. So, how do you empower people to make decisions? Honestly, I think it comes back to the leading indicator kind of discussion where you can say, hey, look, you know, these are tough decisions. Um, and let's set this up in a way that it, it's almost like giving them a little bit of an out, right? Let's set this up in a way so that we understand as early as possible whether we've made a good decision um, so that we can course correct it to take a little bit of that fear out. Like, well, shoot, if I, if I put all the money here on blue, <laughs> um, you know, as we get into the process, we feel really comfortable that we have wiggle room and some ways to make adjustment. But you've got to then figure out what are the right leading indicators and metrics and really be rigorous about that. That'll help take a little bit of the fear out of it. I think it's also important, particularly in business, um, to make sure it's a we decision, right? You know, at the end of the day, some of the bigger decisions are going to really rest yeah. at the feet of the CEO. Yeah. Um, but it's a we decision. It's still, though, I mean, if you look at like a you know Jeff Bezos and the Amazon philosophy is you know uh, you know consent but disagree, mm-hmm. and that terrifies people mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. even though they're you know they're saying, well, you know, I don't agree with you, but go forth and see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's a very scary proposition to people because yeah. it means that to them, a lot of people here, if I failed, it I was your get, decision. I, yeah, it was your decision. <laughs> I, yeah, I told you so. Yeah, I, That's where I, I just keep coming back to the same thing, um, which is you, you want to de-risk that a little bit with yeah. what are my leading indicators? So in case I did make the wrong decision, I can, yeah. I can, I can course correct. Yeah. And those indicators also could probably put the time constraints on it. That's right. right. So yeah, three months, six months, you know, you'll know when it's going to, when you right. do, if this was the right thing to do or to, whether it's time to make a course correction. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, just to wrap this up, cause I, I could talk about this all day, um, uh-huh. but you know, what is, what would you say? What is your, your one bit of advice to people in terms of how to make, you know, how to make better decisions, how to approach this? Mm-hmm. What is it that you would say to them in terms of, you know, making you know making good choices um from a 
business perspective, I think you just can't get away from having a, a framework or, or a, a high-level structure plan that you're always looking at that helps guide the decisions. And whether you use, um, you know, kind of a classic ghost, you know, here's my goal and my three big objectives and, and my strategies, that's your big frame, having that frame helps you with the decision making. I just, that's my, always my advice. If you don't have that and don't spend some time putting that together, it's very hard to know yeah. whether or not your decisions are fitting in with anything. Yeah. I know, I know this is going to sound like a, a strange question to ask, mm -hmm. but can you find success on an individual, a career, or even on a business level without making choices? Um, yes, but not, not as a, uh, that, that's your only state <laughs> of never making a decision. Um, but I do think there are cases where time is your friend and delaying making a decision, um, is actually a good decision. Maybe you need more information. Um, maybe you, it, well, it all kind of comes back, I suppose, to needing more information, but maybe you need to see something else play out. So yeah, I think it could be very powerful to not make a decision at times. Cool. Thanks, Julie. You're welcome. And there you have it. You've got another reminder that no matter what, you will always have to make a choice by listening to us talk about strategic decision-making here on Pod 2112. I want to thank our guest, Julie Parrish of Red Seal, for joining us. And I want to thank all of you for listening into Pod 2112, a production of the 2112 Group, a business strategy and research firm. For more information about 2112 services, email us at info at the2112group.com. And join us again when we talk with thought leaders and influencers shaping the world around us. Don't forget, you'll never miss an episode of Pod 2112 when you subscribe to us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever podcasts are distributed. As always, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Thanks again. I'm Larry Walsh.